we're going to go into Revelation chapter 10. Uh, so let's uh, pray. We welcome all you guys that are watching us. They're part of uh, what we do here. We know that uh, uh, you all pray for us. A lot of you are love truth and you tune in with us and uh, we're thankful for that. And so uh, and those of you that get this podcast and I think I told you Sunday we've picked up, picked up Togo, Russia and Cambodia. So we're up to 50 countries that we know about. Uh, that's participating with us, and I think, is it 47 states? 48. We picked another one up. Somebody got saved out there and joined us. <laughs> so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for all the natural blessings, Lord, but more than that, we thank you for all the salvations you've done here in the last two years and the privilege we've had to watch people be baptized and and to be a part of our family. We stand for the word here, Lord, and we just pray that you'll strengthen us as we continue to stand for your word. And we don't want to take anything for granted, nothing in the natural or the spiritual. And Lord, there's so many lost people, many of whom we all have access to in certain circles, and we just pray that we can be a light to them. Give us understanding. Help us to know how close we are to the end of time and the urgency that we need to have in us, Lord, to share the gospel with others. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right, let's look at chapter 10 and 11. Uh, and let's try to... I'm going to share something. I've studied Revelation for many, many years. And uh, I've been a student of this. And, uh, and I've known... I've made my calling and election sure. I know I'm an end-time preacher. I've known that. Uh, so I know we're living in the last days. I know God has called me for this season and this time. But tonight, I'm going to share something with you that I've never shared before when we get to chapter 11. So uh, you can do with it what you want. You can digest it. You can uh, throw it in the trash and be wrong when you I'm just kidding. But let's, uh, let's see what the Lord's got in store for us. Uh, John said, I saw still another. Let me back up to verse 20 and 21 of the last chapter so we can lead into these next two says but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues the ones that we read about last week did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold silver brass stone and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries which i said last uh, last, um, last week, uh, the word sorcery there is, uh, pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. And God knew that drugs would be a big problem in the end of time, didn't he? I mean, we're getting wiped out just in this country with fentanyl. And, uh, so pharmakia is where we get our word pharmacy. It, it has its roots, this word in drugs and addiction so if you look at these la these four things murders drugs sorceries should be pharmacia drugs sexual immorality and thefts those are the four biggest problems in this country right there not around the world but even in america those are the four biggest problems we have sexual immorality people stealing whether it's intellectual property or your lawnmower or your horse or whatever your car I mean, car uh, jackings have just 
exponentially risen in the last five years around this country. Uh, and then, of course, drugs uh, and murder. Murder is just out of control in some cities. Uh, it's hard to turn on the news here in Kentucky, even in Lexington, and not hear about a murder. Uh, I mean, it, it's gotten really bad. And these four, these, and that's, don't you think that's interesting? Those are the four things. I mean, God could have said a lot. Of, he could have had a big list there like we read in Galatians or Corinthians. But he used those four as an example because those are the four things that I think we see the most of. And as we go out of that into chapter 10, he said, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, that rainbow, of course, the world's hijacked that and tried to steal it from God's Word. But the rainbow represents grace and mercy. And that's what God hung the rainbow out in the sky to tell the rest of the world and future generations that the, He would never destroy the earth again. So that's His mercy with, with flood. And that's His mercy and grace and His long-suffering. He had a, uh, a little book open in His hand, and He set His right foot on the sea and His left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice. Is that him? <laughs> Is that the angel? Cried with a loud voice. That's when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things <clears throat> which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So that information has been withheld from us. God don't tell us everything. He couldn't. The Bible says if he wrote down everything, the world couldn't have held it all. <coughs> Excuse me. So he says, and an angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it that there should be delay no longer. Now, what you'll remember growing up, you'll remember that that was quoted out of a King James Bible, that time shall be no more. That was not the best translation. The New King James has got this right here. Uh, it didn't mean like time stops right there. It means that there's no longer going to be a delay. They did their homework here in the Greek. And they, there's not, in other words, God's not withholding anything any longer. This thing's coming to its close, its end. Now, you saw last week where we saw that those angels were appointed for a day, an hour, a moment, right? And everything about God's plan is on time. Everything, he has a specific day, an hour, everything's in plan. And here's what I want to tell you. Long suffering was built into that. We've heard, you know, you've heard people let's say, let's pray the Lord delays his coming. That ain't happening. Everything has a day, an hour, an appointed time. The long-suffering has been built in. I'm surprised he's not already stopped it. So we know that God is long-suffering. He's merciful, not willing that any would perish. And, he's, and here's what God is. He's that way on an individual basis. So... God's mercy and grace and long-suffering is for all of us on an individual basis. And so he says um, that there would be no longer a delay, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished 
as he declared as he declared to his servants the prophets. So we're coming to this time where everything's going to be wrapped up. We see the stage getting set, and I don't know if you guys that are watching on the video can still see this hourglass because we've got rid of the stage here, but that's why I've put the, I felt an urgency to put this hourglass in front of us because, I'm going to say this, and I know everybody's going to be hearing this that's listening or watching or comes back to this. What, I, what I'm doing here tonight, even after we're gone, let's say the Lord comes back this year, this stuff's going to still be out there for people to get a hold of. And so what we're doing here has, may have far greater consequences than just tonight or what somebody listens to next week. You know, because there's going to be a lot of people left behind. And a lot of people that get left behind are people who maybe have a little knowledge that was handed off to them or remember growing up in Sunday school or something, but they never surrendered their life to Christ. And I'm talking to you if you're listening tonight. They've never surrendered their life to Christ, and so they get left behind. And then the first thing they start thinking when they call for people they know who did love the Lord and they can't find anybody like that, then they start remembering after they get over the shock. You know, my grandma told me that this day would come. My best friend tried to warn me, whatever. And so maybe they'll start searching for answers. So there's more going on here than just us having church tonight, possibly. <clears throat> so the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel. Uh who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and he said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. As we see God's judgment unfold, right? That is refreshing to know that sin is going to be, it's going to taste for a moment, but then as we, digest that now we understand has anybody ever had somebody maybe that's done you wrong and then they really got in a bad way and you had compassion on them and that's I, I think you know the world that dies and goes to hell I don't want that for anybody you know the only person the only one that really needs to be in hell is Satan that's who, the, but Jesus said that's what hell was created for was Satan and his angels. But many people are going to wind up there with him because they refuse Christ. And it's more than just what causes people to refuse Christ. Uh, they want to do their way. That, that's the, the nature. And that's even us Christians battle that, right? We want to do it our way instead of doing it God's way. And that's the nature, the nature that we have to wrestle with. Uh, so I went to the angel and said, he said, You're gonna, you need to eat this. It'll be, uh, make your stomach bitter, but it'll be as sweet as honey. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so, you know, he's getting all this. And, of course, there's half the book still left to go that John's going to go through. And this chapter just basically is really setting us up for the second half of the book. Getting him ready, getting John ready, kind of setting the stage for us. He didn't give us the details of, of those seven thunders, and then he starts unfolding more stuff 
as we jump into chapter 11. Chapter 11 is where we start seeing good stuff for TV. And as you see this unfold, uh, the first thing he does, and this is what I want you to show that picture there of Jerusalem, of uh, the Temple Mount. So you see the temple, that's the Temple Mount. I forgot to bring my laser, but are you having a hard time with the camera? Can you see me? <laughs> Uh, you can see the outline, and it's pretty good size. The Temple Mount is, is more than just that uh, pagan Dome of the Rock there that you see in the middle of it. Uh, you see the moss, Alaska, uh, down here at the bottom. There's another ceremonial mosque on the Temple Mount. Then you, you have the Dome of the Rock, and then behind the Dome of the Rock, you have about 12 more acres. And this is stuff I'm going to share with you for the first time tonight. Let me read just a couple of verses. Just leave that up there and let me read a couple of verses. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. Leave out the court that's outside the temple and don't measure it. The rod was about nine feet. They used six cubits to make a rod and... He's measuring just the temple. Now, by this point, 99% positive the temple will have been rebuilt. The Jews will be sacrificing it. They're ready to do that anyway. And the Antichrist will be getting ready to walk into the middle of it and, and do the abomination of desolation that Daniel told us, Jesus confirmed in Matthew 24. And then that's when the Jews are going to have their eyes open and realize that the Antichrist, which we'll talk about next week, is not their Messiah. The reason I'm going to show this to you is because all of us have had questions. Well, how can they rebuild the temple? The mosque is there and all this other activity is going on. I'm going to take you to a couple other passages here in a minute. But that mosque, we've decided, and I've had these thoughts myself. I've thought, well... Maybe God, wouldn't it be funny if an earthquake come through there and just sucked that down and it's gone? And <laughs> uh, then I thought, well, maybe uh, is, uh, the Islamists will get so uh, angry toward Israel, which they're already that way, and hatred toward them that they'll fire a rocket and blow their own mosque off the mountain. I've had all kinds of things. What would get that mosque out of the way, or the Dome of the Rock, what would get that out of the way so they could rebuild the temple? Just keep that picture up there. I'm just going to read a scripture out of If you want to go to Ezekiel 42, I'm going to read one, one scripture out of there in Ezekiel 42. I'm going to show you something I have not shared before, and I have not hadn't had this much understanding, I don't think, of it before. Uh, I've told you before, the hourglass represents Jerusalem. When Jerusalem left the hands of the Gentiles in 1967... Now, a lot of guys, when I was growing up, a lot of guys would say, you know, 1948, when the countdown started, I never bought that. I've always believed the countdown started in 1967. But to their credit, 1948 obviously had to happen before 1967 could happen, right? But Jesus said, when Jerusalem is no longer trampled down by the Gentiles, know that this generation will not pass till everything's finished. Well... That, that happened in 1967 when the Jews gained control of Jerusalem again. So in Ezekiel 
uh, 42, let me show you something here. Verse, uh, I believe I want to go to verse, the last verse in the chapter, I believe. Verse 20. Look what he said. Now he's talking about the, the, the temple in the end of time. He says uh, it had a wall around five cubits high, excuse me, 500 cubits long, 500 wide, He measured the four sides. It had a wall around 500 cubits long, 500 wide, to separate the areas from the, some translations would say from the unclean or the common. So I think there's a possibility that if I can take you back to Revelation here, and then I'll point something else out to you here on the, uh, the picture, where he said to measure the temple, but don't measure the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles. Where that spot is behind this dome of the rock is called the holy place. Uh, what do they call it? It is called the, the dome of the tablets. They believe that where the dome of the tablets is, which is back into that wooded area there and part of that Acreage, 322 feet behind the Dome of the Rock. They believe that's where the Holy of Holies was at. So here's what I think I see. Everybody say, it's what the preacher thinks he sees. And he's probably right. Now, you know. (laughs) So if you go back there, you could get the Holy, most holy place, the Holy of Holies. You could get the holy place. You could get the Jewish outer court. But there's not enough room to get the Gentile outer court unless you leave it like it is. So here's how they approach the Jewish temple. So it's very possible. We thought there's no way they could coexist. But remember, the Antichrist, that's his deal. He's a deceiver. And his deal is he brings the world together with deception And the biggest thing he does that nobody's been able to do, and I'll give credit where credit's due, Bill Clinton was the closest to bargaining a deal between the Arabs and the Jews, but he could not finish the deal when he was president because the Jews would not relinquish control of the Temple Mount. That's why he couldn't get it done. And so, and of course, the Muslims are not going to let go of it, even though they came to Jerusalem 700 years after King David, you know, and all, and all that. But anyway, that holy place and the Holy of Holies could be built. And if there's a wall built, like Ezekiel's talking about, to separate the Gentiles from the Jews. So what, when they approach them in the Old Testament... He said, now what did he say here? He said, because outside the temple do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city under for 42 months. So the Gentiles are going to flood back in there with the Antichrist, thinking they own the place. They forgot. They don't own it. And so they, they may be able to coexist for a little season because if Israel builds a wall, they can keep the Gentiles out in the outer court, quote-unquote, and still have their holy place 
and their holy of holies. So when you, if you were a Gentile and you back in the day when Herod's temple was up, you had a certain area you could come and be a part of. Then you went on in in the outer court to a place where the Jewish women could go, but Gentiles couldn't go. So you'd have this Gentile area. They couldn't go any further. Then the Jewish people could go on in, and the Jewish women had to stop here. And then the Jewish men had a little further they could go. I probably need to stay in the cameras. I don't know. And then they, so you go Gentiles. Then the, the Jews, the Jewish women stayed here. Then the Jews, continued, the men would stay here. Then the next spot was for the priest, which is the holy place. And then the next holy of holies is only for the high priest. And that's how they operated in the temple back then. So you could see how if the temple was rebuilt back there where they believe the Dome of the Tablets, where they believe the Holy of Holies was at, they could get most of that temple in and still have the Gentiles cordoned off, so to speak, away from that. So I feel like it's most likely that, that that's probably what's going to happen. I don't think uh, the, the dome's going to be blown up or whatever. And that symbolizes, now you think about that for a minute. You think about a guy that steps on the world stage that starts doing things like settling the, the world economy, getting everybody to try and get along, and then barter peace between Israel and Islam, something nobody's been able to do. He'll be the man. He'll be the man. And what better way to show that you've done that by having both temples, quote unquote, on the same map. Look what I've done. Right? Not me, but I'm not the Antichrist. <laughs> but what he, what he would say, he, can you not see that all over the internet and the news? Look what I've done. There they worship Allah. And there they worship Jehovah. And they're getting along. They're on the same temple mount. I mean, that would be, the world would be like, wow, right? But we, you know, of course, maybe we'll be gone at that point. But at some, uh, before it gets to that extreme. But at some point, I mean, we already see it. I've told you this for years. If you see Israel breaking ground on a temple... You better get your bags packed, spiritually speaking, because we're not long for this place. So think about that. That's something I'd never got into before, some stuff I've been learning. Uh, it's been given to the Gentiles. It said they will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months. So the Gentiles are uh, coming back in uh, along with the Antichrist. And, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,000 uh, 260 days, which is three and a half years. And I've showed, shared this many times. They'll be clothed in sackcloth, which is a time of mourning. So in 11, chapter 11 and verse three here in Revelation, it says, I'll give the power to these two witnesses. They will prophesy. So three and a half years because the prophetic calendar is, a, is based on the lunar calendar. So these prophecy years are 360 days on the lunar calendar instead of a solar calendar like we go by. And so these guys are going to step in to this role and they're going to be clothed in sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning. Now, believe it or not, God's pouring out his wrath, but his heart's saddened. And the reason his heart is saddened is because men have rejected him 
and done their own thing. And look what it's led to. We're, you know, we, we probably could say, yeah, some technology's gotten grown and gotten better. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to be the better for it uh, <clears throat> with this AI coming along. I was listening to a guy's podcast just this week, and he read this long, like five or six, maybe seven-minute speech. He read it. It sounded like something that George Washington would have written. And uh, it was that kind of English. I mean, very eloquent, very direct, no mincing of words. And he read for about five minutes. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, wow, what a, what a discourse you just read and gave. And at the end of that, he said, I got that off AI. It took me 15 seconds. Education is going to be gone once AI comes out. Nobody's going to learn anything. They're just going to punch a button and have, the, have their, have their uh, speech written in 15 seconds. It's going to dumb us down. That's what's going to happen. It's going to continue to dumb us down. So you might say, well, we've made advances here, there, we've gone to the moon and whatever. I know some of you don't believe we've gone to the moon. but Some people don't believe we've gone to the moon. Uh, some people go to the moon about every day, though, you know. <laughs> Did I say that? I did. But, but morally, we're decaying, and it will catch us. These four things there, if God... I, I said the worst thing that God could do to America is just pull his hands back and say, have at it, you're on your own, do your own thing. That's the worst thing that could happen to us, is for God just to withdraw his hand. The reason God has not withdrawn his hand yet, I believe, is because we've not been fully given to idolatry. That's the next phase for America is to be given over to idolatry, but we've been holdouts on that this far to, uh, in a large part. So then he talks about these two witnesses, and these are interesting guys. I want to talk to you about them. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands stand standing before God. So they're in God's presence right now, all right, of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth, and devours their enemies. That's the first characteristic about them. If anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. They have power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls. And in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Now, there's no question who that describes. Moses is called a prophet. Elijah is called a prophet. All right? And in the Scripture, even though Moses is called a prophet, he's also the head or the representation of the law. Elijah is the representation of the prophets. On the Mount of Transfiguration, who are the two boys that show up? Moses and Elijah. They, are, they were the... They called them witnesses right here. They were the witnesses that witnessed... To Jesus, right? Peter gets all excited, says, hey, let's build three churches right here. One for you, Jesus, one for each guy, one of these guys. He's just out of, you know, he gets all excited. Uh, you got to be careful with your human logic. A lot of people over the years have just decided it's Enoch and Elijah because Enoch didn't die and Elijah didn't die. And it's appointed man wants to die and then the judgment. But there's a lot of people that's not going to die. God can preserve Enoch if he wants to. He don't have. He could have changed him. In fact, the Hebrew suggests that his molecules were changed. It's a total different translation for Enoch than what Elijah had. In 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was caught up by the chariots, the chariots and, and taken on to heaven. So he's in heaven. Enoch's in heaven. 
But to just to deduce that it's got to be Enoch and Elijah means that you've put God in the box. I, there's a good chance that all, all of us could be alive. I believe we're that close when the Lord returns. So uh, uh, it's appointed to man wants to die. It doesn't mean everybody has to. And like I said, the Hebrew suggests Enoch was changed. He's a representation of the church. He walked and talked with God and he was not for God took him. Now, he walked close to God, right, to get his own personal rapture. He was the seventh from Adam. We know how God likes sevens. So he's a picture of the church. But when you read what these guys are, are going to do while they're here, this is exactly what Moses and Elijah did while they were on earth. The other thing I want to take you to, just one book back, if you would go back to Jude. Let's go to Jude chapter 1, verse 9. And look what's going on here. It's an interesting passage just to be thrown in there, right? For no reason, which we know there's nothing in the Bible for no reason. And he says, uh, in verse 9, it says, Yet Michael, the archangel, which is one of the three archangels, you got Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, who we call the devil now, uh, in contending with the devil. So Michael and the devil are having this battle. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reading accusation, but the Lord rebuke you. Now, we're talking about a body. We're not talking about the man Moses. So why would God be hanging on to Moses' body? Moses is one of the guys that God buried himself. Remember that? Or he took him. He, he took his body. Moses went up to Mount Nebo, and they didn't see him anymore. So he had a funeral with just him and God. <laughs> so there, I think there's reason for that. God's going to send Moses and Elijah back. He's going to reunite Moses and send him back. Now, both these guys, you're going to see what happens here as, they, uh, as, they, as their ministry unfolds. But here's what they can do. Uh, imagine this. Imagine you're coming up on a dude. You're making fun of him. And all of a sudden, he just opens his mouth and fire comes out and you're fried. I hope we get to watch all that from heaven. I mean, it's going to be awesome to watch how God, I mean, now I pity the people that wind up in hell, but also I know there's no excuse or reason for them to wind up there. Like I read this past Sunday, Paul said, even nature tells you, you should know, he said. And so, but it's going to, it's going to be good. That's why it's sweet in the mouth and bitter in the belly. It's going to be good to see God finally say, Hey, no more of that, buddy. No more of that. No more murdering babies. No more of that. Right? No more of any of that. Now, the good news, and I want to make this clear. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, whether whatever it's been, abortion, it doesn't matter. You can be forgiven for all that. But what we cannot do is look back at our own sinful life and say, it's okay. It's not okay. And that's why I have to correct people when they say, well, I, you know, I was born. Listen, we were all born into sin. Don't tell me you were born that way. So was I. We, you may have chose that sin. I may have chose this sin. doesn't matter what sin it is. If you break the law, in one point, you break the whole law. So we all, let me say it's clear to everybody who's watching and listening to this podcast. We all have to repent. You're not the exception, buddy. You don't get to keep playing your own game and be in the kingdom of God. Every one of us have to repent. We all may have chosen different paths to manifest our rebellion toward God, but you and I still have to repent. It doesn't matter what the sin is. 
And so the good news is nobody has to die and go to hell. There's been provision made for us. But I think it's going to taste really good someday for God to say, no more of that, buddy. This day's come to a close. No more sin. No more lying. No more stealing. I mean, that's going to be a good day. These guys, uh, the fire comes out of their mouth uh, to kill their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, they must be killed in this manner. And think about this. You know, once that starts happening, everybody's going to be trying to kill them. All right? They're going to be, and they can't. They can't kill them. They probably hate, they'll, within a few days of this starting to take place in the tribulation period, the world's going to hate them. And they're going to want to kill them, but they can't kill them. This is another passage for all of us to take comfort in. These guys can't die until God's finished with them. That's a word to all of us. I just proved that 18 weeks ago. We cannot die until God's finished. Now, if you're in rebellion, all bets are off. I don't know if that's a good word to use in the church, but uh, you, uh, you, you know, you can get rebellion and cut your life short, right? But if you're following the Lord and you're striving, and I'm not talking about perfection. There's only one that can be perfect. But if your heart is to follow the Lord and you fall seven times, but you get up all seven times, you ain't leaving here till God's done with you. And I'm living proof of that. So God's in charge. That's why, you know, I believe that everything's going to work out exactly like he says it in every book of the Bible, and especially this one. But the thing that's the overriding factor for me is, among many of his attributes, is I know God's in charge. And boy, that makes sleep a lot easier at night. To know he's in charge, to know the devil has to get permission to deal with us, right? He, notice, we'll see that in just a minute. Let me come back to that thought. We said, said these guys, uh, uh, they can withhold the rain, which is what Elijah did when he was here. They have power of the water, eternal blood. Moses is in on that, strike the earth with plagues. Moses is in on that. As of the, and that's why I told you last time that the, the Jews, even the ones that aren't saved or born again, If they're a good Torah person, if they're an Orthodox, they know that what happened in Egypt is a forerunner of the end of time. They understand that. Okay? He says, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city of the spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. He's referring to Jerusalem there, where also their Lord was crucified. So these guys cannot die until God's finished with them. But imagine this. Imagine CNN, Fox, NBC, CBS, ABC, all of them. These guys, they've made them so angry and they probably have vehement hatred toward them because they went up and heckled them. It's just like what happened with the, the, they were teenagers. They weren't children. If you read that in Hebrew, these teenagers that made fun of Elijah and called him baldy. And here come a she-bear and, and killed them all. Now that's, now, God takes care of his, his own. And, and I don't know what puts God to the point to where he gets, says, this can't go any further. But he has a breaking point. Because I think it was Moses who said, God's mercy will not always strive with man. 
And His mercy runs out sometimes. And I don't know, you know, we see uh, how wicked generations can get. And Proverbs talks about that. Even the children, their teeth being set on edge. And the, so these guys are allowed to die. And you can, you can look what the Bible says. Um, they are in that city where the Lord was crucified. So He calls it Sodom and Egypt because Jerusalem has gotten so far away from God themselves. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. They probably are enjoying looking at them dead because they're so tormented by them. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Now, I don't know how many people are going to fall out from these two witnesses, but it must be a lot. It ain't like they just killed three or four people while they were here. Evidently, they were dropping like flies when they got around them. Because the whole world, he says, you see that? Of course, we know now, when you wrote this as John, or maybe when the early church read it, or maybe when the church in the 1800s read it, or maybe when the church in the early 1900s read it, and thought, how would the whole world be in on this deal? We know now, don't we? You see that camera right there? And those cameras right there? We go to the whole world if they want to see us from right here. So the, all the news cameras, I, I don't know. This is kind of like Elijah, you know. I love the Bible. It's better than any movie, right? The guy, uh, the guy comes looking for Elijah. He gets crossways. He burns up right on the spot. Next guy comes looking for Elijah. Fire called down from heaven. He's gone. Third guy comes in saying, don't, don't, don't. Here, have, you know, I, I can imagine that happening during this time. Guy's getting around. And the guy saying, CNN saying, uh, you need to go cover these two guys. And the guy's saying, I quit. <laughs> I'm not covering those dudes. <laughs> right? Or the guy from any news station saying, you got to go on assignment to Jerusalem and check out these two dudes that's killing everybody. And they're like, I quit. I'm going to work for the dairy farm or whatever. And so you imagine, so now we, we, we can see now, it's easy to see how the whole world would be in on this, Right? how they would see God's two men, which I, I feel concrete that it's Moses and Elijah being sent back. They were the guys that appeared to confirm Jesus. They are, and when you have that, you have these two witnesses. You, they are, Jesus referred to them as the witnesses of the law and the prophets. He said the law and the prophets come together in him, right? So they, I believe these are the two guys that are going to be used during that time. And they're going to wreak so much havoc. They're going to be speaking truth. First of all, people don't want to hear that, right? We're in the time already like that. They don't want to hear the truth, but they can't do nothing about it. They can't put them in jail. They can't even get close to them. Get close to them. Like a dragon. You can't even get, who's going to arrest them, right? Probably the police will be quitting. They're like, we need to send you two guys. You guys need to go over there and arrest these two guys. I quit, right? This ain't because as long as God is using them, they can't touch them. And when God withdraws his protection, all they can do is kill the body. And Moses is probably like, I done had this happen before, so I'm good, right? <laughs> and they, the, all they can do, he's probably telling Elijah, it's not nothing, man. We're just going to. It'd just be gone, be right up in the presence of the Lord. But then he's going to send them back. Notice what happens. They're going to be excited. They're going to be sending gifts because of the prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. 
So their message, and God knows what he's doing, don't he? I love God. He's, he just, you know, all you, all you got to do is see that word sorcery and know what it's farming. He knows what's up, right? He, he's not caught off guard by anything. God wasn't caught off guard in the garden. You know that? He wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve blew it because the Bible says in the book we're reading here that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. God already knew Adam and Eve was going to blow it. He wasn't caught off guard, elbowing Jesus saying, what are we going to do now? Him and his son, his only begotten son, had already entered into what most theologians call the everlasting covenant, that he would be the atonement, the propitiation for the sins of mankind. So God was never been caught off guard. He's already been around the corner before we get there. Somebody give him praise for that. So now watch what happens. This is, like I said, it's a better new movie. Now, after three and a half days, The breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Woo, man. I want to be watching all this from heaven. I hope we got a big screen. I hope the whole wall's a big, giant TV wherever I'm at. Can you imagine the guy with the video camera for the news? (laughs) Passing out. Everybody's passing out. And and they stand to their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. But people still won't repent. And they heard a loud voice from heaven. Man, I love it. I wish I could just come back with those two guys and be be their water man. Carry them water. Uh, And they stood on their feet and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. They get an experience just like Jesus. But man, they're sold out, ain't they? I mean, just preach it, boys. Preach it. Stand up for truth. And if they get too close, blow some fire on them. And they ascend to heaven in a cloud. Their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake. What's happened, as we saw last week, and I want to make this clear before I close tonight. What's happened is the world has been dealing with the devil, right? And he does his thing. He's a deceiver, but he causes a lot of trouble too. But now God showed up quote, unquote, and he's took over the whole thing, and now he's starting to pour out his judgment. He's starting calling men and nations and kings and presidents to accountability. He's shaking the whole world. He's in charge. And we're getting ready to see that the devil knows he's in charge because there's a scripture coming that says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down among you, and he knows that he's got just a short time. Now, let me tell you something. We should take such confidence when we read this, even though we may not be here during a lot of this, and even though he's given us stuff futuristic, we should take great confidence that God's in charge. Before the devil could do anything to Job, guess what he had to do? Mother may I. He had to go get permission. So the devil has to get permission to mess with God's children. That's good news. And notice what God said. He said, well, said you can do, and he must have thought a lot of Job, right? And we're all hoping, well, we hope he don't think that much of all of us, right? That's the flesh talking, right? He, uh, he said, you can do this, you can do this, but you can't do this. Man, that's a good place to be, right? I'm on the winning team. I don't know when I have to go in that big place in the sky for bat. 
I don't know when it's my time to bat over yonder. It could have been my time a few weeks, but it wouldn't. But it doesn't matter because he's in charge. He's in charge. And I take comfort in that. And even though it's going to get worse, I said, cheer up, saints, it's going to get worse. Even though it's going to get worse, we know who's in charge. Amen. Let's give him some praise. So the the earthquake came, and in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven, finally. Now, did you all notice what's happened in Turkey this week? That's, that's the biblical region right there. That's where a lot of this stuff's coming down over. That's where the world meets its destiny over around Israel and those surrounding nations there. The earth is reeling. Earthquake, I think it was over 11,000 dead already, I believe they said. And the earthquake is reeling. We, if you keep up with earthquakes, as I do, you're going to see this. 1967. The earthquake started doing this because that's when the countdown began. When Jerusalem was no longer, the major earthquakes started having more frequency of them. And he said there would be in diverse places. Now what? We got earthquakes. We had one in Bergen a few weeks ago. Remember that? Had one in Bergen. They had one in Chicago a few years ago. And I remember them talking about that. They were so concerned about that when they were afraid that if they got a big earthquake in that fall, it would break Lake Michigan loose. And most of upper Indiana cities would be gone if that happens. We got them in Turkey. We got them in California. We got them in... The word diverse means diverse places. We see, and what Paul say to us about the earth? said it's groaning for redemption. Even the earth wants to get out of this sinful state that's consumed it. And so these guys, the earthquake came. He said, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Now I want you to digest some of this tonight. You don't have to agree with everything I say. uh, But I want you to consider what I'm saying to you because I try to study and I try to go as deep as I can. That's how they teach you in coal mining, right? Go as deep and far under that mountain as you can. Go till you can't go no more. Uh, and so we, I want you to consider. Now, you, you may, some people say, well, why do we care about all that stuff's going to happen? We may already be gone. <clears throat> I believe the reason God left us so much information about the end of time, and he did leave us a lot. What Jesus said, the prophets, what Paul taught us, Revelation, why would he leave the church so much information about a lot of things that probably are going to take place after the true believer's gone? Because we can do what Jesus cautioned us not to do. He said, do not get caught up in the cares of this life that that day catches you off guard. Why is that important? We got people all around us that aren't, aren't ready. We work with them. We, we see them at Christmas, Thanksgiving, in Walmart, Kroger, Save-A-Lot, wherever. We see them. And we've got greater access to people now than we've ever had. And so God wants us to stay ready to give a man an answer for the hope that lies within us. 
And the hope that goes beyond just normal thinking, right? The Bible says God causes us to have peace. That uh, I think It says it passes all understanding, but the Greek says it this way. God gives us peace that rises above all of our circumstances. And then Paul said, uh, I found so whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content, right? Whether he's in West Virginia, Tennessee, it didn't matter. That's not what that means. He's, that, what he's saying there is, it wasn't that he just walked into every situation. He was such a spiritual man, he was all good. The actual Greek says he found a way to be content. Start looking for God in your moment because your life's controlled by him. Remember what happened with David? David's riding in. He's got his best man right here with him. And was it Doag? Somebody's up on the hill cursing David. And his best man says, that can't, they can't do the king like that. So you want me to go up there and kill him? <laughs> and, and David, I'm putting this in Kentucky lingo. He said, you want me to go up there and kill him? And he said, no. He couldn't do that unless God allowed it. Now, you're at peace when you can live like that, right? That you, you can't have it both ways. You, I'm all in with this. I promise I'm all in. Uh, you can't say God's in charge of your life and then turn around and blame somebody else for it not going right. Did I just say that? I did. Either God's in charge or that person that you think's holding you back's in charge. Can they hold God back? You can have as much of God as you want. And so can I have. And nobody can stop that in me except for me. Either God's in charge or somebody else is in charge of your life. Who's it going to be? Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. We're so blessed here. And we thank you, Lord, for all your mercy and grace. And we just praise your name for your word. Mm -hmm.